would you stand with me one more time this morning? Our, our passage of scripture, our key text is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Let's read it together. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Bow your hearts together with me. Jesus, thank you for your presence in this place. We acknowledge you. You are everything. You are our bread. You are our provision. We love you. I need you so desperately. I need you, Jesus, to come and rescue me. Where else could I go? Even as the old hymn writer said, needing a friend to hold out till the end, where could I go but to the Lord? Thank you that I will, I will look to the hills from which comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. Take these words today in my mouth. Let the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. I cannot do anything apart from you. But I thank you that I'm filled with your presence, that your presence is in this place, that you fill the hearts of each of these people and you open our eyes and give us ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, we'll give you all the glory. Everybody said. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Alex did a phenomenal job last Sunday. I would encourage you, if you weren't here, to please pick it up as a podcast or on your media player, on your computer at www.victorywired.com. He preached the amazing message concerning Jesus taking five loaves and the two fish, the little boy, and fed a crowd of about 15,000 people. Your Bible says 5,000 men. They didn't count the women and children in those days. And so it's really a very solid estimate to figure somewhere literally between 15 and 20,000 people got fed that day. And so we, we connect that to this message this morning. And actually if we went back just a verse or two in the text where he was preaching from, it says that they, the disciples had some mementos. They had some souvenirs that they could take away from Jesus' first fish and chips day. It was really a pretty amazing event that took place. Jesus started out with what was equivalent to a happy meal with little, you know, five little bitty tiny biscuits maybe and two little sardines is the likelihood of what the little boy was carrying. Jesus took from the hand of the little boy what was very little and when it got into Jesus' hands, little became much. And that's the, that's the principle that I want you to connect to this story this morning as we jump into this. Little becomes much when we put it in the master's hand. And Alex did an amazing job painting Jesus big in a huge picture, in a, in a huge telescopic view, bringing him in right down here in front of us to see how amazing, how magnificent the august presence of Jesus Christ and the fact that it wasn't just a natural miracle of provision of physical food for people that were hungry at the end of a long teaching day where they'd seen miracles take place and they had heard words that amazed their hearts. It was a real legitimate miracle. It, 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 it goes down in history. It was the, probably one of the most significant ones because it's the only one that all four Gospels record outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ being the greatest miracle in the history of mankind. This one, the feeding of the 5,000 with the little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish, is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As Alex shared with us last Sunday, it's very significant. There's something there that's bigger than the actual event itself. It's, 
It's one of those sign miracles. It's one of those significant seven sign miracles that John used. Samion is the Greek word. It's a sign that points to something greater. And, and, and it's not just the fact that bread and fish got multiplied and fifteen to 20,000 people got fed, but it's what Jesus said himself, that he is the bread sent down from heaven, the bread of God. And that everything in life, every provision that we have, everything is all about him. And so this morning, as we connect from what just took place to what we're going to look at today, I'm reading particularly from the New Living Translation. It's the one that we give you if you, if you make a fresh start. We give you a free copy of that. Uh, New Living Translation, very readable, very understandable. I have 12 verses that I want to grab quickly this morning. The Bible says immediately. Everybody say immediately. immediately. So that's the word that's the action word in the Gospel of Mark. It is, it is so much moving quickly, like a, like a movie script from one scene... It's like cars are blowing up. We, we were sitting last night. My son was in town, and so we rented G.I. Joe on demand, and we saw all this stuff blowing up all over the place. A little too much ninja action for me. We watched it to the end of it, and I said, did this kind of remind you of Power Rangers when you were growing up? <laughs> uh, you know, if you remember, I need morphin power now. I, I, I need some of that. <laughs> would touch their device on their wrist. I need morphin power, and the, the, all the Power Rangers would become right, one great big Power Ranger. That's even a message in itself. When all of us join together in Christ. Wow, I didn't even think about that. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. Notice, Disciples in the boat, Jesus on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Now stop right there. Some of your translations, King James, ESV, both say, at the fourth watch of the night. We, we, have, we have two 12-hour periods, 1 through 12 a.m., 1 through 12 p.m., Okay. When we talk about the watches of the night, there are four watches, and they are three-hour segments. The first watch begins at 6 p.m. in the evening and then goes up till 9 o'clock, 9 p.m., okay? From 9 until midnight is the second watch of three hours. From midnight until 3 a.m. is the third watch. From 3 a.m. until 6 a.m. is the fourth watch of the night. So we're talking about the wee hours of the morning. This is a particular Hebrew means of measuring time. So there's not a literal translation. You're talking about somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's, it's way late. It's, it's, when, it's when everybody ought to be asleep. My mama used to say, look, son, why don't you come on home? There ain't nothing good going on out there after midnight. Well, yeah, that's when everybody's hanging out, talking, having a good time, though. <laughs> Parents are at home. They're in their own boat, in a, uh, not asleep, turning, waves tossing back and forth, wondering where their kids are. <laughs> So the disciples are out on the boat, fourth watch of the night, it's late. NLT says 3 o'clock in the morning, the message says about 4 o'clock in the morning. Both of those are correct because they both say about, okay? About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking that he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. 
Take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and what happened? The wind stopped. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, get Jesus in the boat with you. He climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed. This, this Greek word is, is an indescribable state of astonishment. They were amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. They had just left the greatest demonstration of stretching a meal that anybody's ever done in the history of mankind. Five tiny biscuits and two sardines became enough food for 20,000 people to get fed, and every disciple had a basket full of souvenir, of memento, of fish and bread. Every time Jesus broke a head off, it grew a new head and a tail grew, grew a new head and a head grew a new tail and he just kept breaking it. And it was just amazing how it multiplied and everybody got enough to eat. So much so that they had an abundance, they had leftovers. How many of you know all you need is to get Jesus involved in your enterprise and you will begin to experience abundance? Somebody say amen. amen. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. These guys are in a situation in a hard place and they've all got a basket of fish sitting between their legs. A miracle of what just happened and the Bible says they still didn't get it. The title of this message of this morning is called Demonstration for Dull Disciples. I'll explain that in a moment. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. Now remember, they were going to Bethsaida, but they didn't end up there. They ended it up in Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick people out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And all of God's people said... I want to give you the first principle right out of the chute here this morning. Number one, Jesus knows what you're headed into before you do. Say it out loud with me. Here we go. Jesus knows what you're headed into before you do. Sea of Galilee is a very interesting geographical phenomenon in that it's literally resting in a scooped out valley between two hills, ridges. The surface of the lake literally, is approximately 700 feet below sea level, 770 to be exact. So the very top of the waters down in this valley between two ridges is 770 feet below sea level out there at the Mediterranean Sea. So we're sitting over here on the eastern side. Let me turn it around this way for you. So I've got the edge of the Mediterranean Sea out here like this. We've got this little strip over here called Israel, and right up in the northern portion of it, there are two rock formations or two hills. And down in the middle of this valley scooped out is this little small Sea of Galilee that is very resemblant of the, the nation of, I'm sorry, the continent of Africa. It's what the shape of the Sea of Galilee looks like. Okay? And so in the middle of this place between two ridges where the, the basin has just been hewn out and it's so far below the sea level, it, it, it is very, very much given to daily storms. Um, if the disciples had bought an iPhone, they could have hit the, the weather button, the little sunshine, and they would see that on a daily basis, almost hourly, 
there were ascending and descending percentages of thunderstorms that would come up on the lake of the Sea of Galilee every day. I've had the privilege of spending a day on the Sea of Galilee and crossing from Tiberias over to Gennesaret and then to Capernaum and going to Bethsaida. And we were on a worshiping fish boat. It was a a charismatic, spirit-filled dude who literally takes people on tours. And we were there, and it was the same kind of boat that Jesus had, except this one had a motor on it, so it was pretty cool. Now, what, what may have taken those disciples in those days, an extended period of time, we were able to do in a matter of a couple of hours. So it's not that far across from one side. Matter of fact, you can stand on one side and see the other side of the lake. It's several miles uh, you know, trying to row across it, trying to catch the, the headwind in the right way because there are all kinds of winds that are blowing through this valley between these two ridges. Some of you who've lived here in the area know that Crowley's Ridge literally creates a kind of what we refer to here from Jonesboro down through here as Tornado Alley. It, it's like it draws thunderstorms sometimes that spin off into tornadoes around us and Everybody around who's lived here for any length of time through the tornadoes that, that blew things away, I believe, in 1987 and a week later, or maybe it's 87, yeah, and then a week later was the big flood that hit right behind it. You know, I remember as a kid going up to Jonesboro a couple of times when it just about blew the town away in this once in the 60s, once in the 70s. And, and you, you think of Oklahoma, which literally is a huge tornado alley there. It's every, practically every year, there's some place that just gets flattened. A few years ago, Joplin, Missouri. Some of you worked and went up and helped, and some went over to sent things to help supplies, necessities to help the people that were struggling, trying to get back on their feet in the last tornado that blew through Tornado Alley over there in Oklahoma. Now, this is not so much a destructive kind of a situation with a tornado, but it's a daily thunderstorm. So the fact that these disciples got into a boat and were, were stuck in a storm is not an unusual thing. It's not an infrequent occurrence. But being in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the sea, in a boat at night is another story. They had gotten in the boat after an amazing day. Jesus had just done a bang-up job. He had knocked not just a home run, but a grand slam out of the park. One of the other gospels says after this point, they were ready to make him king. I mean, if a dude can take a head of a fish and make it grow a tail, and the tail of a fish after it's broken and make it grow a head, and keep just causing granny's biscuits to come out. Jenny brought me some of her homemade chicken and dumplings yesterday. I tell you, I, I can preach with a greater anointing today <laughs> because of Jenny's dumplings. It's Haley's grandma. She said, I want, and she, she didn't do it for me. She did it for Abby because she knew Abby was leaving town. <laughs> we enjoyed those dumplings. But I'm going to tell you, those dumplings, it's the bottom of the pot, and they've quit. They didn't multiply. It's probably a good thing for me. <laughs> I've become a big dumpling. <laughs> So Jesus has this amazing demonstration of his love for people and his provision. And folks are shouting his praises and ready to make him king. And yet Jesus is talking about, you guys don't even get it. He's trying to tell them, look, this is not about this natural bread. It's about me. I'm the bread for you, for every need you have. I've come to supply, to be your supply, your source, to meet every need. And at the end of the day, Jesus puts the, the disciples into a boat and he sends them out. And I just want to say particularly to each of these college students that came up here today and some of your friends that are visiting, that are sitting here this morning, some of you are getting ready to leave and go other places to school. You're leaving because you have a sense of confidence on where the Lord is sending you. And 
and, and, and you're going to get into it. It's going to be an amazing experience and doors are going to open. You're going to meet new people. You're going to make the relationships for friends that are going to be the best ones you'll ever have for the rest of your life. You, you, you take one or two out of high school, but the best friends come out of those years of college together that you spend time and you, you, you grow those relationships together. And especially if you've got some good Christian friends, I have, I have friends that have lasted me now going on 40 years that, that came out of college, high school and college experiences some 30-something years ago. And I'm thankful for that. And that's ahead of you. But I want you to know that there, there also is a sense of wondering. Am I going to be good enough? Can I follow through? Am I going to be able to deliver? My folks are spending this money. And, 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 and how am I going to be able to rise to the challenge and, and do all of these things? And you know what? You're going to be in a storm. You're going to be in a storm of worry. You're going to be in a storm of circumstance that's going to hit you. And in the middle of that, I want you to cry out to Jesus and say, sing the words of that song. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. It's amazing how Jesus will come and he will get in your boat. And that's what happened with these disciples. Jesus sent them out. He knew what they were going to encounter before they did because he who has the power of the wind and the waves in his hand also has the mind of God in his soul. He knew what they were headed into. Scripture says he went up on the hills to pray. He went by himself alone. I've literally been in that place on that lookout spot, on that perch, a high elevation where at night when the moon, moonlight is coming down on the Sea of Galilee, you can see over to the other side and some of the little twinkling lights across the way in those little communities of Capernaum and Bethsaida and Genesaret area and Tiberias. It's an amazing sight. But I, can, I think about how Jesus is up high and he sees them struggling. But I also think about the fact that he sent them by themselves and he goes apart alone to pray. And it amazed me as I, I spent some time just in this passage of Scripture this week, thinking about how, isn't it incredible that even Jesus himself needed a little bit of alone time? He had to pull away from all the crowds, from, from, from the fandom, from people thronging him, from folks you know, screaming his name and reaching out to touch his garments and shouting praise and all of these things, demands that were being made on him on a regular basis. He had to pull away for a season and just get quiet and cry out to the Father and make a connection. I don't believe Jesus' tank ever was running on fumes, but I believe he still had to give us a demonstration of what it means to stay connected to the Father. We are in the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. If we're disconnected from him, apart from him, we can do nothing. We must stay connected. I have to recognize where my life source, where I'm drawing my strength from. It's not in myself alone, but it's the fact that I'm connected to him and he is on the inside of me. He is part of who I am now. Thank God I'm not apart from Him anymore, but I have to remember that. It's not in me myself. It's not in my flesh, but it's in Christ who is in me, the hope of glory. Somebody say amen. amen. So Jesus goes to the mountain and He prays and he's, he's, he's in serious prayer for an extended period of time, so much so that He looks out from that mountaintop and He sees them on the Sea of Galilee struggling, that they're rowing and they're struggling and they're not making much headway. How many of you ever feel like that you are putting 110% into your life to just making it happen, to getting up and cooking the meals and keeping the, the faces, snotty nose of the, of the children clean and, and the diapers clean and, and, and showing up and, and meeting the quotas at work and, and all the, the stuff that hits you with the stress, and just the worries of life. You're doing all you can. You're rowing. You're trying to catch a headwind. You're, you're, you're looking for some sense of direction and you just feel like the boat's not going anywhere but you're just exhausted. 
in the middle of all of that, just exhausted from the pain and you feel like you're going to throw up and you're sitting there looking at a whole basket full of what just happened. Miracle in front of you and sometimes our hearts are so hard. We're like dull disciples. We've come out of one blessing and we've entered a place of testing and we forget about how great God was just two hours ago, three out, six hours ago, six weeks ago when he answered a crazy prayer and we were flying high as a kite. It's amazing to me sometimes how we get a disconnection from the, the, the grandeur and the bigness and the goodness of God if, if there's a little bit of a distance between the last time of blessing and we've walked into a season of testing. I, I, I shared a series years ago called The Road to Maturity and I marched this church from the time they were, the, the Israelites were delivered from Egypt by the blood, the water, and the spirit and they marched through the wilderness 42 places corresponding from the 42 generations from Adam down to Christ. 42 stops, 42 encampments. Every one of those places God revealed himself in some different kind of way to the children of Israel. And they marched to the wilderness with the left foot of testing and the right foot of blessing and the left foot of testing and the right foot of blessing. Say it with me. The left foot of testing and the right foot of blessing. Come on, here we go. Testing and blessing and testing and blessing and testing and blessing. And you've got to realize that if you're in a season of blessing right now, hang on and be prepared because you will walk into a season of what? Testing. And if right now you feel like you can't see daylight because it's dark all around you and the winds and the waves are going to overcome you in the test you're in, don't quit because guess what? If you'll hang on, you'll take the next step of blessing. <laughs> Tests were never hard for kids in school who just showed up, went to class, and did their work, and halfway listened. I just want to say this to you college kids that are worried about whether or not you're going to be able to deliver the grades and keep your scholarships. Go to class! <laughs> Bind the demon of mattress. Get up out of bed and go to class. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, if you just have to, you're walking in the door and have to wipe the sleepy out of your eyes and just slick your hair back in some kind of way and sit there and try to listen and take notes. It's amazing how if you're just at least poor, partially present when you hear what's being taught, how it can get you focused in the directions you're supposed to go in. It, these disciples somehow just didn't even show up to class. They're seeing it happen, but they're just dull. What's up with that? Blessing, just walked out of a season of blessing and they're walking into testing. They still have a personalized name on the basket full of bread and fish sitting there and they're rowing, rowing so hard they're about to throw up and if they do, they'll throw it up on a basket of fish. Oh my goodness, this is what God just did for us. And we're struggling in this place where you get to the place of losing heart and losing hope. And isn't it amazing how the enemy brings those thoughts to you at the latest point of night, when it's the darkest outside, when you're the fourth watch of the night, sometime between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, when you think, is it ever going to get light outside? I shook the hand of my friend over here in the sheriff's department. He's got the night watch. I have a lot of law enforcement people, West Memphis, Marion, sheriff, and our church. Please pray for them. They need the strength of the Lord on their lives. They need the protection of God. They're here fulfilling Romans 13 so that we can live quiet and peaceable lives in all contentment. Pray for our, our law personnel, our lawmen and lawwomen. Somebody say amen. amen. And I'm thinking about how 
midnight hours after. That's, that's sometimes, my mama used to say, you know what, I know y'all are having a good time out there, but there ain't nothing going on after midnight that's any good. That's what mama used to say. Yeah, but mama, that's what we just all hanging out on, on the Kmart parking lot down here. Man, we were, we were big time. We would cruise through Sonic, come right back down, turn on Broadway, come in and cruise to the McDonald's, and we just, just burning up gas. And you know what? It was, it was an expensive 79 cents a gallon back then <laughs> when I had that 1977 Thunderbird. It was a bad car. It was huge. Yeah, it was like a hood that was 14 feet out there in front of me. Like a big boat. So we're out there having a good time. Mom and dad are at home worrying, going, Lord Jesus, please protect that idiot son of mine, you know. <laughs> Keep him safe. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. None of us, I doubt, are ever caught on the middle of a lake that's called a sea in the middle of the night with rowing and bread and fish in, our, in between us, but we're, we're rowing back and forth in the bed worrying about the bills and thinking about the business and the employees that are giving us a hard time. Maybe a relationship that's not in the best place with your spouse. Challenges of life, transitions, kids leaving, empty nest, kids coming, another baby. Help us, Jesus. How are we going to do this? Different stages of life sitting all over this room. Different circumstances. Some of you have been there, done that, got the t-shirt. You need to help encourage the younger ones that are just now lining up at the starting line at that same race that you've already run. That's why we need each other. Disciples are out there. Jesus has had some alone time. He looks from the mountaintop and he comes down off the mountain. Scripture doesn't tell us how long it takes him and he goes walking on the water. He who created the hydrogen and the oxygen atom somehow strengthened that covalent bond so that when he took his step out on the lake... I believe it wasn't water. It was the faith of God that was carrying him as he took steps walking on to a stormy Sea of Galilee. Scripture says he intended to pass by them and they looked and they saw him and they're rowing and they're trying to catch a wind with a, with a sail and, and they got the, 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 the leftovers, the miraculous leftovers from the greatest fish and chips day that's ever happened in history and they see what they think is a ghost and they scream in terror and cry out. Jesus says he intended to pass by them but their cry caught his attention. And he spoke to them and he said, I'm here, take courage, don't be afraid. And what I want to say to you this is this, whether you're a student leaving for school in a couple of weeks or whether you're a business person in a downturned economy or a husband or a wife that's struggling in a relationship that's not in the best place it's ever been in or wondering how you're going to find the rent to cover September's bills, Whatever you're facing in this room this morning, I want you to know that the storm that you're in in the boat with some disciples or your family or some friends, Jesus is going to come to you in the middle of the storm, but you need to get ready because he's going to reveal himself to you in the way that you wouldn't expect. I thought he was a ghost. Sometimes the provision of God can come in such an astounding way that we, it terrifies us. We're praying for God to come, and then when he shows up, we're scared of it. We're asking God, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. And you start hungering and thirsting for things and you kind of get weirded out going, what's wrong with me? 
the stuff I used to have a good time at doing, I, I try and I can't even enjoy it anymore. And it's just like I'm, I, 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 I've got to get in a place where I can seek your face and just turn on some worship music and pray and cry out to you and start dreaming big dreams and, 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 and trying to get some ideas how I can follow through on the things that you've already instructed me to do. God, how can I do this? And you're in a, in a mental storm, waves washing over your boat, Fourth watch of the night, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, laying in the bed, wondering, stressing out, how am I going to meet the sales quotas? What am I going to do to avoid getting a pink slip in my box at work? Because I've got a new baby that's just arrived. How am I going to do this, God? How are we going to make it? And what you've got to do is look down and remember you're sitting there looking at some miraculous leftovers. The last time God provided, go back and remind yourself. Go back and encourage yourself in the good things of God. The disciples are in the boat struggling. Jesus was on the mountain, but he comes to them. In the middle of the struggle, he reveals himself. They think it's a ghost. Just be ready. Look at your neighbor and say, be ready. We've got to be ready for something besides the status quo. Jesus is going to reveal himself in the powerful way. And the biggest thing is, is that wherever your storm is, whatever kind of storm it is, you just need to cry out to Jesus and get him in your boat. Look at your neighbor and say, get Jesus in the boat. Is it possible to be rowing a boat in the middle of a storm with a leftover basket of miraculous provision in between your legs? Every disciple has one. Twelve disciples, twelve basketfuls. Baskets full. And somehow not get the message, somehow not make the connection. God, help us. Let me tell you what happened with those children of Israel as they're sometimes making the second of a third trip around the mountain of testing and blessing and testing and blessing because they didn't get it the first time. They've got to go experience it again. See, God doesn't give social promotions like you get in public school. They go, well, we can't keep him in the third grade. Bless his heart, he's 21 and he's six foot two. We've got to promote him on out of here. He's a big boy. And a lot of times folks sort of just get sent on all the way through, all the way through, all the way through until they actually graduate high school and can't even read. It's sad. I'm not going to chase that rabbit down the trail, but just to say one sentence, it's crazy that America used to lead the nation, in used to lead the nations of the world in terms of churning out some of the best and the brightest, and we've dropped now to 10th and to up, down as low as 27th place in some of the issues regarding the sciences and math issues among the rest of the nations of the world. We'll just say this to the students, work hard, work hard, study hard. Put, you will get out of it what you put into it. And as you are faithful in the little, God will see to it that you're blessed and are able to be an influencer over much. Somebody say amen. amen. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like algebra. It's hard to solve a quadratic equation when you haven't learned how to solve this for a single variable. If you can't, serve, if you can't solve for 3 plus y equals 5 and figure out that y equals 2, there's no way you're going to get an AX, A squared plus B squared equals C squared equation working for you. No way. You've got you to you get your ABCs before you start making words and get some words before you start developing sentences and develop some sentence structure before you start writing paragraphs and, and stories. It's, we, 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 we build, and the kingdom of God is like that. We build. We learn the little things. We learn the disciplines, walking in faith and expressing love to our brothers and sisters and keeping our hearts clear and granting forgiveness to those who've hurt us. Walking in the, in the basics, the ABCs, the one, two, threes of the faith. 
Second point this morning. Are you getting anything out of this? Number two, where God guides, God provides. Say that with me. Where God guides, God provides. Notice that they were, were headed out to Bethsaida. And they ended up in Gennesaret. Jesus sent them to Bethsaida and they ended up in Gennesaret. And if, and if you have in front of you uh, the shape of the Sea of Galilee, which is like the shape of the continent of Africa, go around to the right side with the horn of Africa and come down. That's the sort of the resemblance of the shape of the Sea of Galilee. Then you have Bethsaida over here at the top eastern corner. And you have Gennesaret over here at the top western corner. Now they head out and they're supposed to be going to Bethsaida. A storm hits. Jesus comes and reveals himself to them. I'm here. They think he's a ghost. They cry out in terror. And they're trying to row to get to Bethsaida. The wind stopped. And then the next thing you hear is that they're mooring the boat now on the other side. They've gone to Gennesaret. Okay, so what does that mean, Pastor? Well, I did a little bit of word study. Bethsaida means the house of provision or the house of fishermen. It was literally a kind of a supplies place where the fishermen who fished that lake on a regular basis would stop and pick up what they need, some stuff to mend their nets, maybe some, you know, some small bait where they would catch the bigger fish. One of the things that we did when I went to Israel on the tour with a number of other pastors was that we actually ate the kind of white fish that Peter caught that the Sea of Galilee is filled with. And when they served it, it came out there with the tail and the head and the eye looking up at me off the plate, fully cooked. And I'm just going, oh, praise God. <laughs> and so I kind of pick at it a little bit and stay away from the head because he's kind of looking at me going, hey, what's up? And, and i am <laughs> got my fork and I'm, I'm picking away from all these little bitty tiny bones. And it's really very good fish. It's called whitefish. And, 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 and I'm thinking about the fact that Bethsaida is, is, a, is a kind of a provisions place where you stop. It's, it's, sort, of, um, it's sort of Buck, Bass, and Beyond. Uh, no, that's not the right name. That's Bed, Bath, and Beyond. Um, buck and Bass or whatever it is outdoors. Guys, I really didn't know what it is. That's just a joke, okay? <laughs> I'm not that far off. <laughs> uh, but th- these outdoors kind of places where you can get all the stuff you need to be able to go do your sport, to catch the fish or to... You know, get your ammunition to, to shoot the doves or whatever. This, this is what Bethsaida was. It was a provisions place. And so Jesus gave them word and said, I want you to go to the house of provisioning. And, and I want every student in here to know, I want every person, every business leader, every husband, wife, whatever you're facing this morning, Jesus is going to take care of your needs. My, my Bible tells me this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, My God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He will send you to Bet, house of. Bethlehem is the house of bread. Bethsaida is the house of provisioning. Okay? You got me? So we, we, we see this, this pattern in Scripture, but they don't end up in the house of provisioning. They end up over in Gennesaret. And this is the amazing thing. It's so glorious because Gennesaret means garden of riches. It's not just your needs and your provisions, your supplies, but God wants to have you locked up and stocked up to the barrel with, with not just supplies, but some riches, some abundance, some blessing. And I don't believe those are just spiritual riches. I don't believe it's just faith and love and hope and joy and peace and all of that stuff. I think too many times we, we lose the fact and the awareness of this principle that Jesus is the bread for your hunger. He is the calm for you in the middle of your storm. He, he is everything. It's all about Him. It's for Him. It's through Him. It's to Him. 
It's not just the fact that He is only concerned with your eternal salvation. Yes, every miracle points to the finished work of Christ and His magnificence. But salvation is not just eternal for your spirit. It's internal for your soul and it's external for your body. Say it with me. Spirit, soul, body. Eternal, internal, external. Salvation is for the whole man. It's not just for you to get to heaven in the sweet by and by and everything to be okay then. Now I want to clear up something right now. It is a, it is a southern churchianity, Bible belt, probably TV preacher kind of concept that gets laid on us that we think, hey, if I can just meet Jesus, I won't ever have any storms. And that is a lie. There's a storm every day on the Sea of Galilee. If it's the warm weather season right now, which it is in Israel, I guarantee you there's a thunderstorm going on on Galilee sometime today. That's just a fact. It's just the geographical, topographical way this thing is set. Cool water temperatures 150 feet deep in the deepest parts of the Sea of Galilee. Cool temperatures coming up off of that. Warm coming down the mountains. Okay, And you see all of this stuff swirling around and all these weather patterns beginning to occur and thunderstorms happening on a regular basis. You're going to have some storms in life. Look at your neighbor and tell them right now, neighbor, storms are coming. You know, the whole point is, is that, that the Bible does not, it, 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 it does not in any way prevent storms, but it helps storm proof. It, helps you make, it makes you storm resistant so that you can dig down deep and build your life on the rock of Christ. Somebody say amen. His salvation is for the whole man. For the spirit, it's eternal. For the soul, it's internal. It's the, the struggle, the worry. The, my soul is my mind, my will, my emotions. My mind is what I think. My will is what I want. My emotions are what I feel. And it's in that whole swirling current of a thunderstorm in my own head where I'm wrestling with the mental storm. It's sometimes, it's sometimes a, a health struggle in the external, but the salvation of Jesus covers that as well. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my, my, our peace was upon Him. By His stripes I am healed. He bore my diseases and carried my sorrows. All over the place, Old Testament and New Testament, we have the witness of the two. Salvation is for the whole man, eternal for the spirit, internal for the soul, external for the body. We, we have this ridiculous notion here in the Bible Belt that's been laid on us that eternal life is something you wait for and you get when you go to heaven. And, and we, associate, we associate with it, I'll fly away, oh glory, in the sweet by and by, when I die, on the beautiful isle of somewhere, on the streets of gold, on Hallelujah Square, on all those great, wonderful old gospel songs that have done more to shape and really misshape our theology about our heavenly hope than anything. Not doing away with the reality of heaven. I believe it's real. I believe that eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's not even entered into the heart of man. The great things which God hath prepared for those who love Him. But I want to say this to you. We are wrong when we think eternal life is just a long time. The existence that I have now forever and ever, thousands upon millions upon billions upon quadrillions of years. None of those numbers will matter because there won't be any measurement. Eternity is not a long time. It's no time at all. We're living above time. God is outside of time. God looks and lives in eternity out here and time is this little bitty parenthesis that He has put man down on the inside of and God is up here living like Jesus on the mountaintop watching the disciples struggle in the middle of that, those wavy uh, Sea of Galilee storms that they're in 
God is up here observing, watching us, seeing the struggle that we're in. And he comes and when he reveals himself to us, it scares the bejeebers out of us because it's not in the way we ever expected. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Let that be our prayer. Let that be our struggle every time we row, every time we go to make a sale, every time we teach a student in the class, every time we go to class to pursuing our college degree, every, every time we pray for someone as a minister on this staff, every, every time we turn a wrench and, and we fix a car or we install an AC unit in a house or whatever you're doing, do it to the glory of God. It's all about Him. It's all for Him. Johann Sebastian Bach wrote some of the greatest music during the Reformation and he signed every one of his pieces SDG, which stands for the Reformation phrase, Soli Deo Gloria. Soli meaning alone, Deo meaning God, Gloria meaning glory. To God alone be the glory. Everything he wrote, he wrote it to the glory of God alone. Everything you do in your life when you change that baby's diaper and you wipe the snotty nose and you, you cook her some beans and Franks or whatever you do when you fix food for your family or you cut the grass or you show up to work on time with a good attitude even when you don't feel like it. You keep yourself motivated and you you follow through and you keep your commitment and you love when it's not lovely and you love when they're not lovable and you pray for and you stand and you strengthen and you encourage and you affirm and you correct and you adjust And you do all the good things that friends and parents and family do and you just keep on doing it and keep on doing it. It's amazing how God takes that and He puts it all to His glory. It's about Him. It's for Him. It's to Him. It's through Him. Somebody say amen. Soli Deo Gloria. Last point and I'm finished this morning. Listen to this. Jesus went walking on the water and the Bible actually says that He intended to pass by them. He set out, he's walking, they're struggling, and they look over and see him, and they cry out, and so he comes over and he gets in the boat with them. This is my last point. Jesus, say it with me, Jesus is always either heading toward you or passing by you. The difference is in your heart. Jesus is either always heading towards you or passing by you. The difference is in your heart and it's the response of your heart. It's to see Him and not understand it but to cry out anyway. It's it's the disciples that cry out and scream and He responds and He says, I'm here, take courage, don't be afraid. And He comes and gets in the boat with them and immediately the wind stops. He intends to pass by them. Their cry pulls Him around so that He starts to head toward them. Same thing happens in the close of these verses of Scripture, as they get out at Gennesaret, they brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once and they ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard He was. Wherever He went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged Him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of His robe and all who touched Him were healed. Jesus is always either heading toward you or passing by you. The difference is in your heart. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, He's never stopped preaching. It's the same thing. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? It's always within your reach. Right where you're sitting this morning, whatever your need, the kingdom of God is within your grasp. Wherever you're sitting right now, it's not just about the provision, but it's about the provider. It's about Jesus. It's not just about healing and when you're sick, but it's about getting a hold of the healer. 
into your life. It's not just about bread when you're hungry, but it's about Jesus who is the bread. It's about reaching sometimes beyond what you can actually grasp. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came preaching it in the opening chapter of the Gospel of Mark and He said, repent, change your mind, believe on the good news of the Gospel. The kingdom is not one of these days coming, but it's right here, right now. It's scriptures fulfilled. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God is available to you. Everything that He died for in His finished work to provide for you, it's within your reach. Friends and family brought their sick and He laid them out in the the, 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 the streets of the city, knowing that Jesus was going to be passing by them. I, I want you to see this this morning. I, I can stand on my tiptoes and I can reach the top of that. I can't get my hand around it to grasp it, but I can reach it and touch the top of that right there. You see that? I can, I can grasp somewhere here in this area. But your reach always extends beyond your grasp. That's just, this is the touch of faith. Jesus is passing by this morning. He's walking the aisles of this church and He's either headed towards you or He's passing by you. And the difference is in your heart. Some of you got here this morning because someone invited you and encouraged you and said, man, come on, you know what, we're just ordinary people. We, we know we're broken, we're struggling, but you know what, we love Jesus and He's fixing us and He's, he's, he's delivering us. We're all in process. Nobody at victory is perfect. The only one at victory that's perfect is Jesus. Come on, it's a great place for broken, imperfect people to find some love and acceptance and to get in His presence and reach beyond your grasp and reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. I don't know what you're sick of, whether it's in your physical body or it's an addiction or it's a relationship that's broken. Some of you are lying on mats of affliction emotionally and mentally this morning and it's everything you can do just to reach out. You can't quite grasp and get a hold of the robe of Jesus, but you can touch it. It'll brush by you. I don't believe it's a natural touch. I believe it's a touch of faith. I believe it's just a faith in your heart that's released that says, you know what, I've, I've got some hope in me that's burning. There's a fire that's been set in me in this service this morning. And I'm crying out and I'm saying, God, don't let it be contained. Don't let it be anything that I can control. I want more of you, God. <clears throat> God, we reach to you this morning. We reach beyond our grasp. Disciples are in boats in a storm in this place today of every kind and variety. Personal and family struggles, relationships and financial, chemical, addiction, all different kinds of things, Lord, are sitting in this room this morning. And I thank you that you're greater than every one of them. We willingly bow our hearts before you right now. We thank you, Lord, that the Bible says everybody who reached out and touched him was healed of their infirmity, of their sickness. With every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.